Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Friday to all of you as we're going to reflect and to remember the death and the suffering of Jesus Christ for our sins. I want to just particularly give a warm welcome to those of you who are new to our church. Maybe this is your first time uh, kind of watching online, or you might be in a small room with other people. We really welcome you. That's one of my greatest joys when I see new people who have either kind of maybe drifted away from the faith. You might have gone to church when you were younger. You didn't see the relevance of it when you were growing up in high school or college, but now you're coming back as you maybe start wondering in the midst of all the pandemic situation that's going on, that maybe there is something that's deeper and greater purpose in your life. And to those who are still seeking, you don't have any church background, we welcome you as well, because I really believe that every single person is created, as the Bible tells us, with this kind of like this hole in our hearts, because God has destined us for eternity in our hearts. And so by you wanting to come and even hear this message and just about what Christianity is all about, I think God's going to speak to you. So praise God for that. Second thing, as Pastor Bo mentioned, I don't know how many of you are excited. We were able to, by God's grace, I mean, a lot of us, we were lacking faith, but God was good, and he provided the Hong Kong uh, exhibition or uh, convention and exhibition center for us. And to to me, I I would have never imagined it, but it was something that God provided for us. And I don't even know who you are in terms of those who gave, and many of you are faithfully giving. And all those things allow us to have spaces so we can experience God together. I'm, I'm so excited for this Sunday because this is probably going to be in a long while, our church all coming together to worship together like that. And I believe there's going to be a special blessing. The presence of God will be there. Uh, I've, I've been praying throughout this whole week. I know many people have been praying. Some people have been praying like four or five weeks ahead of time every Monday morning. But you have no business getting up that early. But anyway, there are people praying, and that's why I believe God is going to do some amazing things. So don't forget to invite your friends. Just say we're going to be at that building right there, right on the skyline. So we're going to be worshiping God together. It's going to be a wonderful time just to declare the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is the centerpiece of our whole faith. And tonight, I want to talk also about another centerpiece of our faith, which is the cross what Jesus Christ did for you and I on the cross as he suffered and died. And this is the reason why we have an Easter, because by him dying, he resurrected from the dead. And now we know that if we die, that we will be resurrected and spend the rest of eternity with God. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Yes, I'm going to look at one verse, which means it's going to be a little bit shorter, but we will see. Because when we talk about the cross, I get really excited. So I'm going to try to stick to my notes, stay focused, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you as we think about what Jesus Christ did for us. So as you're turning to that, you can also turn to our church app. The notes are there, and so you can follow along. I wanted to start off by asking a question. I'm wondering how many of you, when you think about the word substitute, what comes to your mind? The word substitute. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes I'm thinking about uh, the substitute teacher that I had, which was awesome because you just didn't have to do much. They 
didn't know what they were doing. So they were just kind of talking about random things. Some of you, when I talk about substitute teacher, there was, there's a video that some of you might remember. But anyway, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just forget that. But some of us also, when you think about the word substitute, you might be thinking about uh, sports, when someone substitutes in for another player. So sometimes that word substitute makes us think about that. For some of us, we think about at a restaurant when we're about to order. As you know that sometimes some restaurants, you can substitute one dish for another dish, especially if you don't like that particular dish. And as I was thinking about this word substitute, uh, I had to kind of gravitate towards the food. And let me explain. There's going to be two examples that I want to give to you that I had an encounter. And I'll just start off and say it was a negative encounter with this idea of substitute. Uh, I was meeting up with someone and we decided that we we're going to go to one of the establishments here that's known for their hamburgers. And I won't tell you because I'm not going to promote any restaurant over another, but it's pretty well known. Everyone knows it. it's really good. And so we were going to go there to eat. And so as we entered in, I got there first. And as I was telling them, we need a seat. They said, oh, by the way, did you know that this week we're not serving any burgers? And so just try to imagine, this is like beef and you're free, you know, liberty. You are free in Jesus. So here, here you are. I'm thinking to myself, I, I, I literally paused and I said, say, say that again? It's like, yeah, this week we decided to go green. I'm like, can you say it again? I still didn't understand what they were saying. And what they said was, we decided to go vegetarian. And I said, how are you going to do that? Well, we have these falafel burgers and these other types of burgers that were all like vegetarian. And in that moment, I got a revelation. Thank God I'm not a vegetarian. That, that was the revelation. I'm like, bless all the vegetarians. I know there are some of you who are vegetarians. God bless you. In fact, I'm so happy when I meet vegetarians because my philosophy is there's more meat for me. So anyway, so praise God. And many of us uh, are vegetarians. But I said, how in the world do you go to a hamburger place and now there's a substitute of falafel burgers. So that was a pretty bad experience. Another experience that I had when I think about the word substitute and food is some of you might already know that on Mondays I like to cook for my family. And I decided, okay, let me look at some of the different recipes that are online. I don't want to keep on cooking the same thing over and over again. And so there was a time when I was looking through and I said, wow, this looks good. Because it was honey, ginger, glazed salmon. I mean, just the name itself, it sounded really good. So I'm like, wow, that looks good. So I said, I'm going to make this. So I'm looking through all the different ingredients, all the things that I need. So I went shopping. And as I got the food, I came back. And as I was about to prepare and make the food, guess what I forgot? It's in the name, ginger. Because I realized I didn't buy ginger in the midst of trying to get everything. So I'm like, okay, my first thought was, what am I going to do? So I said to myself, well, let's look it up. Google this out and see if there's a substitute for ginger. So I was saying substitute for ginger. And then I got this picture. And so if you look at this picture, um, there are names in there I have no clue about. So there's cinnamon, uh, cardamom, uh, mace, there's pumpkin, apple spice, allspice, nutmeg. And this made it even worse than me not having ginger. I'm like, I don't have any of that stuff. And so in that moment, I decided to switch and not make honey, ginger, glazed salmon, but I just made honey, soy sauce. 
That's a go-to. <laughs> Glazed salmon. And I'm sharing the story. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I'm sharing the story because when we think about this whole idea of substitute, you have to kind of see it from a certain angle. And I'm going to try to make that point as we look at the life of Jesus. The American Heritage Dictionary defines substitute as this. One that takes the place of another or to put or use a person or thing in place of another. And that's why oftentimes when we think about a substitute, we think about something that's kind of uh, not the real thing. You're supposed to use this, you're supposed to have this, but then you don't. So then you use something else that's sometimes inferior or not exactly. And when you think about it even more, you realize, yeah, that word substitute doesn't feel very good because if you think about someone starting in sports and then they get injured or they're not playing well, they get tired, then they get substituted. But I want to kind of challenge us to think of the word substitute in a complete different way or in a different angle. And it's simply this, that you and I are trying to live this life and we're doing a horrible job. Our lives are a mess. The decisions we have made, the things that we're going through, the struggles in our lives, the mental health, the emotional health, the relational brokenness. Just think about your lives. Some of us only have a purpose or direction in life. And in the midst of this, we're trying to live this life on our own and we're not doing a good job. And then all of a sudden, a substitute comes in who knows how to live this life perfectly and lives it in such a way that we could not live for ourselves. But this person does, and this person is Jesus Christ. So today I want to talk about Jesus Christ becoming our perfect substitute and also challenging us to begin to respond to him in light of this sacrifice that he has made for us. So Here's the one thing that I want us to think about. The one thing is simply this, that Jesus died on the cross in our place so that we can experience his grace. That Jesus Christ died on the cross and he did it in our place so that we can experience his extravagant and wonderful grace. So as we kind of look into this passage, like I said, it's just one verse. I want to kind of break it down as best as I can. But before I do, I, I, I need for us to kind of pull out a little bit and not just look at one verse, but let's just look at the whole Bible and just look at all of God's story. Because I, I want us to think about it this way. When we think about this grace that I just mentioned, we have to understand that it's simply every blessings that we have that comes from God that is completely undeserved. So every single time we're thinking about grace, is something that we don't deserve and it comes directly from God. That's something that he gives unto us. So therefore, forgiveness, reconciliation, it's all pointing to God's grace. When we experience love, joy, peace, hope, all those things are pointing to grace. Things that we don't deserve, but God gives it to us. That's why if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, Verse 3 to 8, I'm going to read this from the NIV, the New International Version. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with, and I want you to say this yellow section with me. It says what? Every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted in his, uh, as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of it, say this again, his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through the blood, his forgiveness of sins in accordance with what? Come on. Riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So all these things that we see the Apostle Paul telling the people of Ephesus is because of Jesus Christ. That's why we have every single spiritual gift. Everything that God gives unto us has been freely given. And it's something that displays the richness of this grace. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. None of us did. But he gives us these things because of Jesus Christ. And for us to understand this, we have to understand the cross and how Jesus became the ultimate and the greatest substitute as he took our place. Now, before we kind of talk about this, we really have to start understanding that before you have appreciation for what he has done, you have to understand what you did. Why is this important? I, I love what John Stott said. He kind of gave this idea. He says this in his book, The Cross of Christ. He writes this, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. That simply means that you and I we did something that caused Jesus Christ to die on the cross. And then he became the substitute for the life that we could not live. And that's why it's important before you begin to appreciate, and have a heart of gratitude of all that he has done for us, we have to understand what has been done by us that nailed Jesus Christ to the cross. Uh, I wanted to go ahead and just look at this verse, this one verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And as we're looking at this verse, uh, once again, I, I want us to remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died on the cross in our place so that we can experience this grace that he's offering to us. And as I talk about this, as I was sharing a little bit earlier, I want to try to give a more of a macro view before we kind of zero in on this one particular verse and about Jesus' sacrifice, how he became our substitute. And one of the things that I tell people that we have to try to see the whole Bible from the lens of what God is doing. The whole story is about God. The main character is God. And as you look at the stories in, throughout Scripture, you'll see God from the beginning of time constantly working in the hearts of people so that his purposes and his plan can be accomplished. That's why when you start off in Genesis, in the beginning of the book, uh, in the Bible, you'll see God's creation. And I'm going to show you in this diagram here. You will notice that there is the creation of God. And so in this story, we see how God has created all things. And through this creation, one of the things that you will begin to notice is that he made all things and he created, and he says that they are good, that all these things that he made and he created was good. And the beauty of this creation is that he wanted to be in fellowship with the very creatures that he has made. But as you know the story, even throughout 
the whole history of the Bible, you will notice that man and woman, that we sinned against God and we continue to sin against God. And that's where evil came in and we have fallen short of his glory. So we see the fall. And in this fall, because sin now is pervasive into this world, God in his heart being broken because now the fellowship with God is broken. What he did was that he'd start setting in sacrificial system where people would then have to sacrifice animals, shed blood because it is through the blood is a symbol of life. As many of you who are believers, you know that this was literally a foreshadow of what was going to happen when Jesus Christ died on the cross. So you'll see that's where Jesus came, lived this life that we could not live. He died on the cross, and now there's redemption, that he purchased us back by paying the ransom, which was through the life of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice that was made. And now those who trust in him as Savior and Lord, we will know now that he is restoring all things. Now, that doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect here on this earth because we still, there's sin in this world, but he's restoring all things until what we see in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, that we see that he's gonna make all things new and there will be no more sin, no more tears, nothing. And Satan will be forever banished away. And so we see that there will be a complete restoration. Now, this is literally a very, really high overview of what the Bible is trying to say. And this is God's story. Now, Right in the midst of this story, as I shared a little bit earlier, that God instituted a sacrificial system where in order, because Jesus didn't come yet, but in order to be right in their relationship with God, that the people of Israel had to sacrifice animals, shed the blood, and then burn up the animal as an offering to God, as a sin offering to God. Now, let me explain a little bit about that as we kind of look into this. I'm going to go ahead and read this passage that for us to look at. 2 Corinthians, I'm going to read it from several different versions. It says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, let me read it in several other versions so that you can have a better understanding of what that one verse is talking about. In the New Living Bible translation, it says this, for God made Christ who never sinned. Now it's important that you understand that you are never to sin or Jesus never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Now in the Living Bible, it says this, for God took the sinless Christ, so once again, Christ had no sin. He took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. So this idea of imputing or putting our sins upon him. Then in exchange, and that's a key word, we'll see this later, he poured God's goodness into us. So our sins were put on Jesus and then Jesus's righteousness is put on us. And then in the contemporary English version, it says this, Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could be made, uh, made, make us acceptable to God. 
So everything that Christ did was so that we can be acceptable before God because we are sinful. So he took upon our sins and then he gave us his righteousness. Now, as we're looking at this idea of the sacrificial system, I want to kind of look at some of the Old Testament passages and you'll see why this is important. I'm trying to build up this case here. Why in some of the Old Testament passages, you'll see this concept or the imagery of the substitution. Now, as I defined it through the dictionary earlier, it is one person taking the place of another. That's what a substitution is. So let me give you some of these verses, and I think some of you will understand if you know the Bible. In Genesis chapter 22, it's a really interesting passage because some of you who know the scripture, uh, it's about Abraham and his son Isaac. Now Isaac was a son that was born in their old age, like in their hundreds, uh, 90 some years old. And so because of that, he was a, a, a loved son. It was, it was a miracle son. But God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And now if you were Abraham, it would make no sense whatsoever. Because here you are trying to have kids, you can't have kids, and after many years later, you'd have this kid that you know God gave to you, then all of a sudden God is saying, I want him back. I want you to sacrifice him. And so it was really a test of faith for Abraham. So listen to what it says, as he was going up Mount Moriah, ready to sacrifice Isaac because God demanded it. Look what happened in the story in Genesis chapter 22, verse 13 through 14, or verse 12 through 13. I'm gonna read it from the English, contemporary English version. It says this, don't hurt the boy or harm him in any way, the angel said. Now I know that you truly obey God because you are willing to offer him your only son. Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the bushes. So he took the ram and sacrificed it. And will you say this phrase? It says, in place of his son. So in his obedience to God, God substituted Isaac with the ram in place of the son as a sacrifice. Now, hopefully some of your minds are running because this is all pointing and foreshadowing to Jesus Christ, his only son, begotten son. Leviticus chapter one, verse four. I'm gonna read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, Lay your hand on the animal's head and the Lord will accept its death. And I want you to say that phrase, in your place to purify you, making you right with him. Now, this is part of the sacrificial system, as I shared earlier, that instead of you dying for your sins, you're supposed to take an animal to take your place. And then you're supposed to lay your hands and then confess the sins and then through that, you make a sacrifice of this animal. Also, Leviticus chapter 16, verse 21 through 22. I'm going to read it from the voice translation and read the yellow section with me. It says this, Aaron will place both hands, both his hands on the goat's head and confess aloud over it uh, all the guilt, rebellion, and wrongdoings of the people of Israel. In this way, he will, come on, say this, transfer the sins of the people unto the goat's head, then another man who had been selected for the special task will drive the goat into the wilderness. When the man releases the goat into the desert, it will carry all the offenses of God's people away into the desolate wasteland. 
this is a phenomenal thought that what they did was they brought this goat, they would put their hands on the, the goat's head, confess all the rebellion, all their sins, everything that's going on, and then another person will take this goat and then release them far away into the desert or this desolate place. That's where we get the phrase, a scapegoat. Because now that goat is taking upon all the sin and all the things that have, they're, they're taking the blame. And now they're being released so that the sins of the people can be released. This whole idea that when you look into the Bible, it is pointing towards this great substitute that it's going to be coming in the future in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, the problem with the sacrificial system, this is what I want you to understand. The problem with the sacrificial system is that these animals only covered people's sins, but it did not take away the people's sins. So think about that for a moment. This is the reason why they constantly had to bring an animal and confess their sins. In fact, they would do it once a year in this huge celebration. It's called the Day of Atonement. All the sins that they have accumulated over the years, they will come on this day and they will bring all these animals for sacrifice, confess all their sins, and their sins will be taken away. But the problem is this, that they would have to do this every single year. It just covered their sins, but it did not take it away. This is the reason why when you think about Jesus Christ, he became the ultimate sacrifice. Because remember, he was called the Lamb of God. Look at John chapter 1, verse 29. It says this, the next day, this is John uh, the Baptist, uh, referring to John the Baptist. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus Christ, when he first came into this world, and after he went away and fasted uh, for 40 days and he prayed, when he came into the public ministry, here's John the Baptist says, here's the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Because Jesus was going to be the substitute and the sacrifice for us. Now there was a more specific prophecy about the Messiah, about this Christ who will come and die on the cross for the sins of the world. And you know this passage, the famous one in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 to 6. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. He tur we turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and, he did not and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten, and then read that, so we could. Come on, everyone say that again. So we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This idea of so we could be healed, so we could be forgiven, so we could be set free, so that we can have hope, so that we can have purpose. I don't know what it is that you're going through in your life, but the Bible's very clear that the sacrifice that Jesus made was so that we could. 
And this is the reason why all the sins was placed on Jesus, was laid upon him. This was a prophecy for thousands and thousands of years ago to talk about who this Jesus Christ was. Now, the reason for the death of the Messiah, you have to understand, you're like, wow, this is kind of weird. I don't know why they were killing animals and doing all this stuff. It's because it's the concept of who God was and who God is right now. It's this idea of justice. You know, many of you know, there's all these situations going on around the world and we're always trying to fight for justice. And one of the things that you have to understand about justice is that there's some wrong that is done. So think about this for a moment. The reason why when we see injustice, we get all angry and something boils up inside of us is because there is something that is done in, to a person or to a people group that is wrong. So I want you to think about this, God's justice. God created us. He's holy. But we have sinned against him in our rebellion, choose to push God away, I want to live my own life in our self-centeredness. We have wronged God. So God now demands justice from you, from me, from all of us. Because he's a holy God. So it is in his right to actually punish you and to punish me. It is in his right, because he's perfect, he's God, to bring upon his wrath on this whole world. But you know what the beautiful thing is? Because he still is holy, but he's also a just or justice-seeking God. He has to still punish sin. And this is the reason why instead of you facing sin and being punished for sin, the consequences, instead of me facing the consequences of sin, he decided to take his son, his one and only son, to take our place, to die on the cross, so that Jesus will take upon the wrath of God, so that God's justice can still be met, because he's pure and holy. I want you, I want you to let that sink in for a moment. If you know that God is holy and that he will punish sins, every single one of us, we won't be able to stand. But instead of destroying us, he loves us. And instead of punishing us and making us suffer, he makes his son, whom he loves so much, to take our place. So if you think about it, our sins demand payment and compensation. And instead of us paying it, Jesus Christ paid it for us. That's why I love Galatians chapter 3, verse 13. I'm going to read it from uh, uh, the contemporary English version. Listen to what it says. But Christ rescued us from the law's curse that, we became, that he became a curse in our place. You, we've been seeing this phrase, in our place. He's our substitute. This is because the scriptures say that anyone who is nailed to a tree is under a curse. Since you and I could not fully obey God and we could not obey the laws that God has given us, we are under the curse. But Jesus Christ became the curse for us, the penalty that comes with not obeying God. Jesus 
took it upon himself. Now, can I just pause here and just say, okay, great. Thank you for a little history lesson. Thank you for the summary of the sacrificial system. The question you should be asking now is why is this important? Why is it important for me? Why is it important for us? The reason why is important because you will then begin to understand the extent of God's love. You will begin to see the extent of God's love. Now, as I read earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verse 21, I'm going to read that first section again. It says, for our sake, he made him. So for our sake, God made Jesus Christ to be sin who knew no sin. God made Christ to be sin for our sake. Now, it's important to note that this does not mean that Jesus became an actual sin or he became a sinner because he's perfect and there was no sin in him, the Bible tells us. But rather, it means that he was a represent, uh, representative of sin. That he took upon the human form of the sinful nature of all of us and the sins, but he was perfect. He was a representative of sin when he died on the cross. So think about it this way. It is very similar to the animal who became a sacrifice. Remember what I shared earlier in Leviticus? They will put their hands and confess all their sins on this animal, and then they will slit its throat, shed the blood, and then sacrifice and burn that animal. So think about it. The animal is not really a sin, but he was a representative of the sin of the people of Israel. In the same way, when we look at Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was a representative of sin of humankind. Jesus willingly became a sin substitute for us because he wanted to reconcile us back to the Father. And that's why by having Jesus die on the cross, this was an ultimate example of love. It showed the extent of his love, how far it will go to love you. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, in the Amplified Version says this, but God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Man, if you read the rest of that chapter, it talks about for a good person, a righteous person, somebody might, might dare to die. But for a sinful person, like think about your worst enemy, someone that you hate, someone that really gets on your nerve, to die and sacrifice for them. What God is trying to say is that for a righteous person, it, it'll make sense because you love them. But for sinful people, the way God did by sending his son, it's in a love that it's unimaginable. Listen to how the voice translation translates Romans chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, but think about this. While we were wasting our lives in sin, God revealed his powerful love to us in a tangible display. The anointed one died for us. He didn't just say it. That it was a tangible way of expressing love. That's why I think C.S. Lewis said it the best. When you think about his book called The Four Loves, he writes this, he says, God who needs nothing 
loves into existence holy superfluous creatures in order that he may love and perfect them. He creates the universe already foreseeing the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flay back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the missile nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops. He repeated the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time. For breath's sake, hitched up. But I may dare the biological image. God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, cause us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. What a powerful imagery. That we literally are like parasites, just sucking in all the benefits because of what Christ has done. Now, if you ever wonder, does God really love me? I always tell people, look at the cross. Some of you are trying to find love by the things of this world. And I'm telling you right now, you may find some that represents or even just in a small way reflect God's love, but it will never compare to God's love. This is the reason why so many of you are disappointed all the time. This is the reason why there's a lot of angst when you don't receive this love that you might think that you're trying to give. This is the reason why some of you get hurt because there is no love on this earth, even if you try to think of the most perfect situation, even in marriage or whatever it may be in your idea of what this love is, I'm telling you right now, it will always fall short compared to God's love. That he literally sent his son as a substitute because that should have been us dying on the cross. But he took our place. Uh, there's an artist called, his name is Stephen Sawyer, and he, he just loves painting different pictures about Jesus, trying to convey who Jesus Christ is. And there was a painting that he actually painted that now is being used in many of these drug rehabilitation centers, in a lot of these uh, homeless centers, and other places where there is an overuse of drugs and different things. And he painted this picture, and it's such a powerful, powerful image. I want you to look at this. Look at this picture for a moment. I want you to look at it, stare at it, let it all sink in. That here's this drug addict, and he's shooting himself up. But the arm that he's shooting up, as you see, is Jesus' arms. To me, when I was looking at this, I'm like, this is such a powerful image of not just drug use, but whatever it is that you have fallen short, whatever areas of your life that you're addicted to, whatever you're going on in your life that you struggle through with, that you will realize that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. I want you to think about that for a moment. 
Let, let's go back to that picture. Let's look, let's look at that again. Can you picture yourself there? I want you to think about some of the sins in your life. Some of your addictions. Some of the things that break the heart of God on a regular basis. That Jesus Christ took those things upon himself so that you can be set free. Not only do we see the extent of God's love, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about this idea really quickly about this exchange that comes in God's love. So the question is, by Christ's sacrifice, what is it that we gain? We see this in the second half of 2 Corinthians, chapter five, verse 21. It says, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This idea that Jesus paid the price for our sins and now we are made righteous. So earlier, other translation, it says that there was an exchange that happened. That our sins put upon Jesus and then Jesus puts goodness, God's goodness in us. There's an exchange. And think about it, what a great exchange. I don't know if some of you ever collected like baseball cards or, you know, now they have those Pokemon things. Long, this, I know this a while back. But whatever, we have these exchanging kind of things. And I remember when I was a kid, uh, we would have these baseball cards and we would change. And so all the good ones, I don't want to exchange them at all. But the ones that are not that great or those that are not good, uh, if that's part of their favorite team, I would try to exchange them. Now, I don't know if I was a hustler, but I was able to convince the other person, the card that I have is awesome, but it wasn't that great. And the card that they had, it was good, but I convinced them it wasn't that good. And I was trying to empower them to give it to me. And let's make this change. And so if you think about this, we got the best end of the deal. Because Jesus took all our sins in exchange for all the goodness of Jesus in our lives. We got the better deal. Because Jesus became the greatest substitute. I was thinking about, well, if not baseball cards, some of you are like, okay, think about it this way. Uh, how many of you uh, check your bank account regularly? Well, I know if we talked about stocks and stuff, some of you go, oh, it's on your phone. Uh, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with investments, but some of you, it is your God. You, you're constantly watching it. Here you are doing soap, and then all of a sudden you got to look at that app to see if it's going up, should you trade it or not. But just think about this, where you're checking your bank account, and you're like, oh my goodness, I only have $500 left. I don't know. I'm sure you guys have more, but you're like, this is all I have. And so you're getting worried. And all of a sudden you just decided to check again, and all of a sudden you have $1 million. And it's just blowing your mind, like, how did I get that? You didn't do anything. You didn't put that one million in there. Or nine hundred and ninety something five thousand five hundred dollars. You didn't put anything in there, but now you have a million dollars in your bank account. That's the same idea. This idea of God accredits you. He is putting his goodness, his righteousness into your bank account 
that you did not earn, you did not deserve, but it is yours. If you place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's this idea in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. That God, for our sakes, God gave Christ, who knew no sin, to become a sin representative so that we may become the righteousness of God. That His righteousness becomes our righteousness. When Jesus died on the cross, all our sins were put onto his account. As if he's the one who actually committed those sins and that God had to punish him. This is the great exchange and the great extent of his love. And this is why, as we talked about earlier, that Jesus died on the cross in our place so that we can experience His grace. What I want us to do at this time is we're gonna, I'm gonna show a video and something that I've really been encouraging people is that at least once a year, watch the passion of the Christ. Some of you have never heard of that. Uh, some, I think close to about 15 years ago now, uh, Mel Gibson produced a, a movie called The Passion of the Christ. And he did not, it was, it, they were trying to decide what kind of rating it will have. Because the, what they were showing, it was more than rated R. They wanted to rate it NC-17. That's how bad it was back then when they were like, oh my goodness, the gruesomeness of the passion of the Christ, the suffering of Christ. But I always tell people, try to watch it once a year. And, and Good Friday is one of the best times. Passion Week is one of the best times. I would even challenge you, if some of you are struggling, not just during Passion Week, but just any time throughout the year, all you have to do is watch this video just to remind yourself in a visible, tangible way what Jesus Christ did for your sins and my sins. Now, the interesting part about crucifixion by the cross or death by the cross is that it was started by the barbarians, passed on by the Persians, passed on by the Greeks, passed on to the Romans. And it was the Romans who actually perfected it. They perfected it because they learned how to crucify people and make them suffer the most, but yet die the slowest. So we're talking about an elongated uh, time a period of time in suffering in a very excruciating way. In fact, if you know word, uh, where certain words are coming from, the word excruciating comes from that root word, the Latin word of suffering through crucifixion. So whenever you hear that phrase, excruciating pain, it comes from the idea of crucifixion. And as many of you know, it's not dying by the nails in the hands of the person, but it's through suffocation. That's why if that person is not dying quickly, they'll break the leg so they cannot prop themselves up to gain breath. But it's not just a cross. And this is what I think many Christians forget to understand because when you look at Scripture, and not just Scripture, listen to me, 
Because some of you are like, well, I don't believe in the Bible. I think it's just all fairy tales. Read your history books and how the Romans tortured and killed criminals on the cross. There's a process. And one of the process of leading to death is this scourging, or if you want to look at it, it's like the whipping that they would do on the back of that criminal. Now, there's a whole medical thing that goes on and everything that's happening. You can look it up uh, on YouTube or Google it later. But I'm telling you right now, if you have any medical background, you'll realize, wow, this is like, I don't know how he survived this. So all the way from the trial to the whipping and the thorns on his brow, as sharp thorns were placed through his head, reaching the skull, sharp pain coming out, then making them carry a cross that's almost like 100 pounds all the way through town just to humiliate them and to let other people know who's thinking about doing something bad, this is what's going to happen to you. That's why they parade them through and lead them all the way up to outside of the city. And for Jesus, it was called Golgotha. And it was there on the cross where he hung and he died for you and for me. That should have been us. But he was our substitute. He took our place so that we could experience God's grace. We're going to show you this video. Parts of the Passions of Christ. I want you to watch it. Afterwards, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. And the way we're going to respond is, after you watch this video, I'm going to lead us into this time of reflection. As we watch this and as we reflect on the cross, then uh, some of those who are in your apartments or wherever you are right now, you could download uh, the form just through our website. And we want you to participate in writing down and confessing whatever it may be that's in your heart, whether it's sins or things that push for you further away from God. But we're going to have you actively respond to come to the cross. As you can tell, we have a cross here. And as you come to the cross, we're going to ask you to then exchange all the sins as Christ became our substitute so that you could receive the righteousness of God in your life. And then from there, we're going to give you an opportunity then to respond in prayer. I think this is probably one of the best opportunities for us to pray for one another. And I'll give you some instructions after we watch this video. And then we're going to take in communion. And I hope all of you can participate in this as we remember the death, the suffering and the death of Jesus Christ. As we get ready on this next several days on Easter Sunday, early morning, as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Remember that first quote that I gave by John Stott. We're not going to be able to fully appreciate and understand what was what he did for us unless we first understand what was done by us. Our sins, our rebellion, our self-centeredness, that we put ourselves in the center and we say, we're God and I want to live the life that I want to live. It's for that Jesus died as he became our substitute. So let's watch this together. What a great reminder of God's sacrifice for us.
And Jesus Christ became a great substitute. And I always challenge people because sometimes Bible stories can be almost like a fantasy, fiction. And that was one of the reasons why I didn't really trust in Christ early on in my faith. But as I started to read stuff, uh, one of the things, I, I love history. And I realized that there's a lot of writings on, that's how Romans actually executed their the criminals. And it's like literally to the T of how the Bible describes how Jesus died. It kind of, kind of got me thinking. Like if this is a fantasy, then something is not clicking for me. Because this, this kind of stuff actually happened in history. And then I started pondering upon just the whole council of the Bible where it talks about, especially in the book of Romans, that the wages of sin is death. That's the payment that you and I have to pay because we have sinned against a holy God. But who can pay it? And we're not just talking about a physical death. There is a spiritual death because we have sinned against this holy God. And when it seems like there's a lot of bad news, we're like, well, then what must I do to be saved? We can't save ourselves. And that's when we realize Jesus Christ came and became our substitute. He took our place. So the more you understand what was caused through our sins that put Jesus up on that cross, the more we're going to be able to understand the love that he has for us and the extent of that love as he made this incredible exchange. Our sins, Jesus took. Jesus' righteousness, we then received. Such an unfair exchange. But that's why the grace is so scandalous. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. All we have to do is trust and believe. So once again, this is how we're going to respond. We cannot see something like that and just kind of leave it there. The way we're going to respond is in this way. On your screen, there's going to be a song that will appear with lyrics. And the challenge and the question in the song is, what are you going to do now? In light of what you have seen, in light of what you've heard, what are you going to do? And hopefully in your apartment, wherever you are, uh, there's a, a sheet of paper that they pr hopefully printed out for you. And the question is, what do you need to confess and give to Jesus as he is your perfect substitute? As you're reflecting, we want you to write something down. It might be something you're struggling with. It might be an area of addiction. It might be something that you just feel like gets in the way in your relationship with God. As you confess those things, I want you to write it down. You can fold it after you do that. 
And what we're going to do is right on your screen, however you're watching it on a TV screen or on your computer, we're just going to focus on the cross. And whenever you're ready, as you have taken the time to reflect, taking some time to pray, I want you to take this sheet of paper and just physically stand up, move your body, and come to that screen and just put it right there because you're going to see a cross on that screen. I want you to symbolically take this sheet of paper, which is your sins, and I want you to exchange it as Jesus becomes a substitute. And I want you to place it right at the foot of the cross or at, in some sense right in front of the TV or your computer screen. Then after you come back, I want to have this opportunity for you to pray with one another. Now, some of you might have never prayed before, and that's okay. You just have to let that person know, and they'll, they'll pray on behalf of both of you. And we're, we're not looking for fancy prayers. And I think that's the problem with so many Christians. You, you try to figure out how to make this very eloquent speech. You can't be eloquent when you think about your sins and what you have done. How are you going to plead your innocence? A lot of times it's going to be raw. You're going to share things that come from the heart. And so this is what I want you to pray for after you, after you place it. And just to meditate it, we're going, to, we're going to do something in between. But I, I just want you to pray for one another. And what I want you to pray for is this. It's just simple things, two things for that person. And let that person pray for you. The first area is pray that that person will know deeper just the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, reveal yourself to them. Reveal how much you love them. The second area of prayer that I want you to lift up also for that person is I want you to pray that they will live their lives for Jesus Christ out of gratitude of all that he has done. Just those two simple prayers I want you to lift up for that person. And then that other person will then pray for you for those two areas. That you will know Jesus Christ deeper. You'll understand his love deeper. His forgiveness in a deeper way. And pray that they will live their lives out of gratitude. Not because it's a duty. Not because they have to. But because they want to. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. So can we do that right now? So at this moment, we're going to go ahead and just look at your screen, and there's going to be a song with some lyrics, and I want you to be able to look at it. And then afterwards, I want you to write down some of those sins of your life. And whenever you're ready, just come to the front. You'll see the cross on the screen. Just come to the cross physically. Stand up, walk over to your TV screen or to the computer, and I want you to just drop it right at the foot of the cross as a visual display and a reminder that now you're exchanging your sins for Jesus' righteousness, that he became our substitute. Jesus died on the cross in our place so that we can experience his grace. May we experience that as we now get ready, even look ahead for Easter. So let's do that right now. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.